This is Star Talk. Greetings, greetings, greetings. Welcome to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Bill Nye, here with wide world citizen of the worldwide world, Chuck Nice. That's right. And this is a special all star edition. And, Chuck, here's the interesting thing. What? I'm the all-star. You are the all-star. I'm, the, I'm starring all-wise here. <laughs> it's, it's good. No, it's really fun. I really, uh, I really appreciate you guys including me. Now, this is a cosmic query. Yes, it is. We have, I see you have stacks of queerical queries. Yes, I do. From all over the Inquiries. interwebs. Uh, that electric thing the kids use. Yeah, they're, they're electric machines. I hear that thing's catching on. I, yeah. Yeah. Uh. I don't know what's uh, going no, this on with is that. cool. Thank you all for sending in questions. Chuck, let's read one. Let's get right to it, okay? And um, this is from Dan Gomez. Dan says, what exactly is inside of a vacuum? If not matter, then some sort of cosmic energy? The fabric of reality? Well, there's, there's energy passes through a vacuum. Right. So we love that. We're talking about light, heat, all these exciting things. Uh, then that you ask you a good question. Uh, you know, people talk about space-time, uh, using it as one word, space-time. And it's generally agreed that not only is the universe expanding, but space itself is expanding. So most of space has what we reckon as no matter, nothing in it. So perhaps the va any vacuum you have is also expanding along with space, if it's away from a gravity field, or away from a local gravity field. Okay. Maybe it's expanding, and we just can't, we can't sense it. It's one of the wow. rules. It's crazy. It's crazy. It's pretty wild. It is wild. It really is profound. Yeah. All right. Actually, Dan, very good question. I mean, you don't have to sound so surprised. He's a Star Trek listener. <laughs> Star Talk listener. Which brings me to this next thing. This These questions are generally about science fiction, right? Yes, that's right. So Star it, Trek will this probably is, come up. Star Trek is definitely going to come up because this is sci-fi and scientists on TV. These are the uh, what, what the inquiries are about. Uh, let's go to Sam, uh, THFC. Hmm? All right, I, I have no that problem means. with that. I don't know what THFC means, but um, but he's uh, coming to us from Twitter. Uh, Twitter, Twitter. I just made Switter. up a whole new social media. Look for it, Twitter. Coming to a Chuck Nice was near the first Twitter sweeter. <laughs> so give us a tweet from the twit. Here's what he says: What fictional Gee, scientist? Wait, that didn't sound right. I apologize. <laughs> give us a tweet from the Twitter. What fictional scientist do you think would, if he or her uh, and his or her science were were real would benefit mankind the most. Do you have somebody that you like uh, as a fictional scientist that you believe if they were real they would actually be a huge benefit to mankind? Uh, the person, the man or woman who invents a way to filter salt water and make it into fresh water. Oh wow! And that person may exist right now, but this is a hypothetical thing. Wow. And it may not be one person, maybe a corporation who continually dinks around with materials to make this possible, but that would be great if you could make seawater economically into fresh water. So now what is the big deal of, uh, not big deal, what is the, the difficulty? big obstacle for capturing and, fresh water from salt water or desalinating? Energy. It takes energy, right? It's too much. You either have to boil it, often in a partial vacuum, so-called partial flash distillation, or uh, you push it through a osmotic filter, a filter that filters right. molecules. 
and get the fresh water to come out the other side, but it takes a lot of pressure. That's what they do on cruise ships and submarines. Oh, really? Yeah, so one can't help but wonder if there isn't some trick to make that easier. Right. One's and it, hopeful. And is it is it going to be necessary one day? I mean, are we going well, to just, be in a position enable, where we're out of fresh water? Well, but yeah, people talk about it all the time, but it would enable so much. It just it would be so cool if you could take seawater and make it into fresh water along the coast. Most people in the world live along coastlines. Coast right. So um, it would be a, really a terrific thing if you could do it economically, especially for the developing world. Nice. I love it. So you, I mean, what's funny is that they were talking about a character, but you went with an actual scientific thing. That some humans and some human invent. can actually do at some point. Yes. You know, love it. Happen right now while we're talking star-wise. There may be somebody out there doing it as we speak. All right, here we go. Um, wow, this person. Oh, nope. You it's, stumped yourself. It's Kelly Clemenko. Kelly Clemenko. Kelly Clemenko wants to know this. Doc Brown and the DeLorean. Yes, Doc Brown. <laughs> the good, the bad, hey. and what do you think a flux capacitor really is so or could be? Let's start with the following thing. We just did, uh, for those of you who watched our talk on the TV, we just did a time travel bit where I was in one of the DeLoreans that was used in the movie. There's a company yes. in New Jersey that maintains these movie cars, Batmobiles and Green Hornet uh, cars. Right. And the DeLorean. So I was in it and I threw a switch and it was funny and charming. Uh, so uh, the flux capacitor, you may recall, was running on banana peels and stuff. Right. And then as far as we know, you can't travel through time. But science fiction writers love that. Yes. And can you go back in time? The big question is, can you go back in time and change history? Right. Would you just get the, the captain of the Titanic to, to slow down, man? Right. Gee whiz. But see, the thing is, he would slow down, and somehow the Titanic would still sink. Well, that's a, if your interpretation of, of time travel. But, you know, on what is generally regarded as the very best of the original Star Trek series, City on the Edge of Forever... Mm -hmm. You go back in time and somehow Hitler takes over the world because the pacifism from Edith Keor uh, keeps the United States from entering the wars. Because Kurt actually saves her from getting hit by a car. So you're familiar. And then and, they change. And then, and that changes and then the maybe outcome of everything. more modern viewers, uh, young people, uh, may wonder if you can send an emissary back in time to have sex with a waitress who then turns out to be your own mother. Right. Can you do that the way that we did in... Uh, uh, that's the Terminator. Terminator. Yeah. That's, that's the and entire you pull that off. of so, the Terminator. But traveling in time is quite difficult unless, like Chuck and myself, you are happy with traveling just one way. Right. Forward. Forward. Older. Right. Closer to death. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that's where we're going right now. <laughs> I, got, I, I started off laughing. I ended up crying. <laughs> Chuck's an artist. He's an artist. But it is this troubling thing. After you reach adult head, your adulthood, heavens, Bill. Yes. After you reach adulthood, your head is headed toward death. Yes. Very troubling, but nevertheless, apparently true fact, as opposed to uh, a false fact. Well, this question took a decidedly morbid turn. Well, somehow. or the, either that or deal, okay? We're only going one way. You can't go back in time. So play the hand you're dealt, all right? There Let's you have on it. with it. 
quit pining for something that's not possible. Yes, you're never going back to win that big game at state, okay? Just take that as a learning experience for your next big game. That's and then right. also, furthermore, to continue, there is a very, which I say for comedic effect, there's a very reasonable theory in physics that you could build a time machine, but you could only go back to when the machine was built. Couldn't go any further. No. And furthermore, further back in time more, you can only, um, you have to travel at relativistic speeds to get there, which would be akin to falling into a black hole, which would tear you apart from its own gravity. So it's just not that easy. Oh God. So everybody, I don't mean to be dismissive of time travel, but don't count on it to solve your problems. Right. Let's say you live on a planet uh, that is uh, where a certain species is burning so much ancient fuel that they're accelerating the rate of warming by about a factor of a million. Mm. Let's just say. Let's just say. You can't pine can't for the day. I can't even imagine what kind of planet this is. You can't be. pine for the day when you could have done something about it at the turn of a couple centuries ago. You got to play the hand we're dealt right now and address climate change. Right. Right. Which, you know, I'd like to believe is going to happen. Yes. But I also believe that people are stupid. <laughs> and none of you listening? No. None yes. Of you, no, no, uh, no. Other hearing people. our voices right now, but other people. there are other people who are uh, quite frankly stupid and they don't believe anything you just said. As a matter of fact, one of them is a senator. His name is Inhofe and he actually wrote a book called um The Biggest Hoax Ever or something yes, like that. Yeah, you're the, you're digressing a bit, Chuck, uh, but I appreciate it. But this he's is, a senator, Bill. I know. The, 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 he gets reelected all the time. He represents. There's only two of them for his state. I he know. Represents half of a state. I know. And he says it's a hoax. Guys like you who do this so they can get money. So the, because that's what happens when you say that the Chuck, you're going kind of Bill Cosby on me there. <laughs> your your yes, speech no, pattern. I would like to invite you over for some <laughs> cappuccino, Bill. <laughs> uh, thank you, Doctor Huck. Huck All right, but yeah. this said, yes. Chuck, your digression is worthy. It's just something to think about. You know, we time travel is a cool idea right. in science fiction. But let's keep an eye on the prize. You, we almost certainly cannot travel through time. We cannot go back in time and fix things. Right. So we got to play the hand we're dealt. There you Lead go. Lead on. There you go. Let's move on to another query and and keep those very grave words in mind. Oh, uh, they're also empowering. They're also empowering. They are empowering. Constraints are empowering. Absolutely. We got to solve this problem. Let's go. Okay, here we go. Jonathan B. East uh, at Becco Meast. <laughs> I like that. From Twitter says, if you could interview any fictional scientist. Fictional scientist. Fictional scientist. Somebody from the movies or a book or anything like that. Who would it be and why? And uh, he's coming to us from Indiana, the state. Well, it's fictional. Fictional. So, like, is there any fictional character that uh, you uh, admire whatever they embody, the character embodies certain values? Well, your first or... cut is you'd say Mr. Spock, right? You'd, would you like to chat it up with Mr. Spock? I have to tell you that uh, I've often uh, fantasized about yeah, that. Uh, but then uh, fictional scientist, the guy who invents the time machine in the H.G. Wells, the time machine. Right. That might be, an, how a... did you do that? Yeah, that's a pretty, yeah, especially how did you do it out of bubble gum and a pinwheel? Yeah, or whatever. Basically, yeah. that's, it was a he tear with a big something. fan on it. He oils something and he's <laughs> able to try, yeah, if that, that would be a good right. couple of questions. All right. But I will say, uh, as charming as all that is, there's some real people I'd love to interview. Ah, I was about to go there. Yeah, yeah, I mean. I was about to say. Yeah. Is, are Who there... wouldn't like to talk to? Uh... Would, would you, now, 
would, would you rather speak to Rosalind Franklin or Rosalind? Franklin or Albert Einstein? Oh, man. Yeah, buddy. I'd like to talk to Rosalind because yeah. you don't hear that much about her. Okay. I mean, people write books now, but I would like to know what her life was like. Sweet. Sweet. She had to play, she had a tough road to hoe there. She was the only woman well, in the thing. I was going to say, when you're a female, I mean. Back in the 1950s. It's not going to be. For those of you who are down, not hip, not down, she took the picture that enabled Watson and Crick to envision DNA. Right. The spiral, the, the double helix. But did she envision it first? Because hmm. she looked at the picture and then the men took credit. Right. Arguments have ensued. Uh huh. There have been uh, whole radio shows devoted to this argument. I can't resolve it right now, but it is intriguing. And uh, clearly still having ramifications to this day. We are probably one of the most important discoveries ever. Yeah. By the way, Darwin and Russell discovered evolution without any knowledge of DNA. It's amazing. That is amazing. It is amazing. Yes. Talk about discipline, scientific method. Just Very cool. straight observation. Just th observing and thinking. Yeah, exactly. Sweet. So don't forget, if you ever read Origin of Species... Darwin did all kinds of very diligent naturalist experiments. Mm -hmm. He's a really impressive guy. I mean, I know everybody says that, but he really was quite the experimentalist as well as the observationalist naturalist. Right. All right, cool. Lead on. So there you go. There you go. There you go. Good, good question. I like that. All right. Let me move on to another query. This is Denard Springle. Coming to, <laughs> I like that name, coming to us from Google Plus. He says, how much more interesting would Lost in Space have been if they'd elaborated more on Dr. Maureen Robinson's biochemical background instead of having her be the typical housewife in space, preparing meals, tending to the garden, etc., etc." Well, it sounds like from your point of view, Mr. and Ms. Springle, it would be a lot better. And notice that. Uh, compare and contrast the contemporary show Lost in Space with Star Trek. Right. Star Trek, the woman, women were in part. Yes, there was a lot of legs. Yes, there were a lot of... Mini skirts. A lot of nice uniforms. Mm -hmm. But ultimately... Green women. Green women uh, who were strangely hot. Yes. Uh, but ultimately, right there in the middle of the whole thing was Lieutenant Yohara. Yes. Who was an empowered woman. Yes, he was. Who ran things. And then you'd come across your woman, Romulan, who was in charge of a ship and so on. Right. And so... And then you go forward into the, the Star Trek series, you have... Oh, I'm sorry. Go no, ahead. bring... No, Chuck, of, take it. Of course, there's Captain Janeway. Right there, running yeah. the whole freaking running starship. Whole starship, who became Admiral Janeway. That's right. And notice, but that shows that like the woman's movement, at least here in the United States, uh, was reflected in science fiction. Right. Right. Uh, you know what I mean? That... You know what I mean? <laughs> so can't hear, I can't hear you. I don't know why I would say such a thing, but you see that the evolution right there. And by the way, Nichelle Nichols came to the 35th anniversary of the Planetary Society, October 2015, <gasps> and she told the story again, Chuck. Um, and she's told the story countless times. She was very gracious about it. About what? Martin Luther King called her. Yes. Apparently on the phone. I have a dream. Number. Yeah, and he said, you can't quit this job. She was going to quit. She wanted to go back to Broadway or whatever she was as a big-time actress, not pretending to be in the 23rd century. Right. And he said, you can't quit this job. As he saw the value yeah. in her being on the bridge of a starship in the future and as, being, a, as a ranking officer, yeah, a lieutenant. Who, who was responsible for all kinds of important things. Right. 
And so uh, it was a, a really a moving moment for me. It was just a few months ago. And I said, wow. You know what's funny about Lieutenant Uhura is a lot of people say, well, she was the, she was nothing but an operator. You know, she was the, and the truth of the matter was, she was the first contact for anyone that's that right. they- That's right. She was Capcom. She, that's right. <laughs> no, but really, so, Capcom's yeah. a big job. There you go. Yeah. So- No, she was a big deal, and she made decisions, and she uh, had to remain calm in some pretty stressful situations, albeit fictional ones. Right. But it was to the point where Martin Luther King himself mm. says, my friend, uh, Ms. Nichols, you can't quit this gig, because you're a role model for- uh, African-American people and women especially. I do believe you are future. It was really, it was well, it makes sense. quite a story that she told, I gotta I, say. I was completely unaware of that story and that's a great yeah, but she's told it a lot of times, but yeah. she was very nice about it. She nah, that's very again. cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Then it kind of goes to show you the importance of Science, of television, television, science, science fiction. fiction. And People by the way, the thing about Star Trek, as a Trekkie, yes. it's an optimistic view of the future through science. It is not an apocalyptic view of the future. It is not science is bad and leads to disaster. It's science is good and leads to all material needs being taken care of. And any conflict we have is when we encounter new cultures who are not totally hip to... Right. They don't get it the way we do. Well, they haven't had a chance right. yet. There you go. All right. Super cool. All right. Here we go. This is uh, Corey Killabitch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, heavens. Chuck, you got to edit before you read. I've only got 30 seconds left in this segment. <laughs> You're coughing to death. This person sent you a joke I, name. I, I know that. Sucked you right in. Sucked me right you. in with the, with the joke name. We're going to get to this. Cosmic Queries with a science fiction bent. Here we go. How far right, are man, we? So let's get the question. We'll tease it. Come back after the break. Brilliant. What's the question? Here's the question. How far are we from force fields and inertial dampers? That's the question from Corey Kilobit. Okay. We're not too far from either one. And Chuck and I will tell you all about it when Star, Tr Star Talk returns right after this. <laughs> uh, welcome back. Uh, that's, uh, I'm your host, Bill Nye. Welcome back to Star Talk. Uh, that's my colleague, citizen of the wide world, Chuck Nice, who is rendering his own... Uh, acapella version of the original <laughs> Star Trek uh, theme song. And the reason he's doing that is because this cosmic query segment is a, generally on a science fiction theme. Yes, it is. Now, we had a query about force fields. Yes, we did. Who and, came uh, to us from a joke and, uh, made that I didn't damping. And it oh, was Corey Kilovich who said on Instagram, how far are we from force fields and inertial dampers? So let me just say in the in the biggest picture... You live in a force field. Mm. Gravity is a force field. Yes. And it, it can be thought of as a field, and recently it was proven that it also apparently travels in waves. Nice. Gravity does. Right. And so this was predicted or very reasonable to physicists, and now we had an instrument that measured that. But I think I know what, at which you drive. And plus, we also have dampers, inertial dampers. Uh, the, old, the British term was dampener, mm -hmm. but in American English, the that middle syllable got dropped. And this is uh, a shock absorber in a car. And it, a damper generally means something that goes at the rate. The faster you move the car axle, the more damping you get, the more damping retar retarding force you get. Right. It's a little bit out of your uh, mathematical experience for most people, but it's out of your every, it is out of your everyday experience. And uh, you know this when you, um, 
when you try to bounce a car up and down, which you can do. You can make the, with the cars in park, everybody perfectly safe, push it up and down. You'll find the faster you try to make it go, the more difficult it is. Now with that set. Or just flip your switch on your low rider. That's all. Oh yeah. Well, if you, for our low rider listeners, the many star talk low rider listeners (laughs) that are out there, I'm sure there are a few of you. Thank you for your good work. That's right. Uh, Now, but I think what she's driving at is tractor beam. You know it. In fact, I heard a, uh, a pundit, I believe, on Meet the Press use the term tractor beam talking about the current presidential election. Yeah. A tractor beam is so far not a real thing. Of course. But wouldn't it be great instead of a tugboat having to throw a line out to the barge it's towing, you could just do it with some sort of electromagnetic beam <laughs> with, with the accompanying sound effect that would bring the... Uh, barge up the river or through deep space uh easily so it's a cool idea i don't know i think we're pretty far away from that okay so i think we're pretty far away pretty far away we do have force fields we do have force fields we're living in one you may rub your hair on a balloon and feel your hair stand on end on your forearm and uh then you also um uh would we get a beam of light that pushes the spacecraft through space Ah, I wonder. The Planetary Society, for example. Hmm. Sounds vaguely familiar to me. Planetary.org, consider joining. Yes, so you were saying. Light sailing. Give me another query. It's a novel idea, light sailing. No, it is cool. It was really good, and we're going to fly again. This was scheduled for September, but it will probably ship, ship, slip to November. Uh Uh-huh be a ride on the Falcon Heavy. Oh. SpaceX rocket with 27 engines instead of nine. Nice. Be cool. All right, man. Well, good luck. Good luck uh, for the next flight. Here we go. Walter Vinci wants to know this. In sci-fi, if one were to have a laser gun capable of producing a visible shot, what would the effects on the shooter, the target, and those in the vicinity be? So, uh, so he's basically talking about a phaser or... Well, there are laser weapons. Okay. We had a laser weapon flying around on a 747. And the idea is the momentum, which you're talking like the recoil from a conventional uh, bullet-type gun, shotgun, whatever, is very small with a laser because all you're doing is reacting the photon pressure. But what the deal is, is you're sending heat... At the target. Mm-hmm. And so the heat can damage the target in a new way. That's not momentum. It's not recoil. It's burning stuff it's up. Burning stuff up. And then if you tune it, you can have a, a maser, a microwave beam that messes up the enemy's radar. Right. That's uh, not that anybody would spend tax dollars doing that in our oh, sure peaceful way of life, but uh, I've heard of it. And would it make the... Sound. I mean, what? I it, hope so. We ever make you a know laser? How we produce pew? that pew sound? No. They got a guy wire. You know what I mean? A real long wire that holds up an antenna. Right. And tapped it. Oh, okay, and that's the the going. And right. it's a, so it's a conventional mechanical resonance, just like a violin or a guitar string. Right, exactly. It has a certain tightness. Very cool. Nice. All right. And we all know that's the sound of. Blasters. That's a blaster. Gotta say, saw the new Star uh, Wars movie. Speaking of, that, yeah, the 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 um, stormtrooper armor. Yes, it's not very good. No, it isn't. 
people burn right through it. Well, yeah, I, you know, I, I don't know why they, uh, you would think it would be somewhat protective, but every stormtrooper that yes, gets hit by a blaster yes, goes down and yeah. goes down pretty easily, too. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's, it's bad. <clears throat> All right, here we go. Another fiction problem that I can't really, no one, I wasn't consulted. Okay, do you think, okay, this is from uh, A-U-T-K- A-U. A-U-T-K-D. Mm-hmm. Do you think something such as the death of the planet Krypton could ever happen to Earth? No. Right. Any other question? <laughs> Just exploding planets don't this doesn't, doesn't happen. happen. With that said, the Earth's moon apparently was created by a pretty big thing hitting the proto-Earth, the, right. the Earth in its well, early days. Earth wasn't fully formed the way yeah, it is right, yeah, right now. So it did destroy a planet, but maybe it formed a new planet and a moon. But that's not the same as the way it's depicted in Superman, where stuff just blows oh, up. Yes. It just explodes, and that's it, and completely falls apart. Yeah, so I, I don't see any way for that to happen. Stars, ah. they, they do that. Well, they do, supernova. They do both, right? Supernovae. They blow up and they implode, right? They, yeah, they do all that. But this, we're talking about a planet, and so... If you like to worry about things, that's I wouldn't put that up high. Right. I'd put climate change way up higher. Way up higher than, yeah. than, than, than Krypton-like death. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay, gotcha. So right. no need to put any kids inside of a little uh, escape pod or- Probably not. You know, send them off to Much a distant galaxy. Much better to improve the, the, the environment we have. Right. Much better. So make an incluso pod. There you go. So I guess it's an incluso pod. <laughs> Rather than an yeah. <clears throat> Pardon me. <clears throat> stay on Earth pod. Yeah, uh, which is called Earth. Yes. So we should probably take care of this place. We should. Here we go. Yes. Uh, yes, this is Scott. That's his title. That's pretty good. Yes, this is Scott. Yes, this is Scott. What's your query? Here's what Yes, this is Scott wants to know. Thoughts on our country's education system, particularly as it pertains to the scientific ignorance of the average U.S. citizen. Could I have some of that from you, Mr. Nye? Well, we got we have a big concern. So, for example, I was at the science teacher convention. Okay. And one of the fights that the science teachers association fights is this current Opposition to common core standards. Yes, I hear that's a big, big deal. Common core. You wouldn't think it would be. Why not have a set of ideas that we agree everybody should know? Everybody should learn the alphabet, right. for example. Right. It'd be hard to read and conduct your life without memorizing the order of the letters. Kind of. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, along that line, there's some other things we want people to know about certain plays and certain poems and certain pieces of art. Right. We also want people to know certain facts and discoveries in the process of science and the process of science. But right now... Uh, so, so the educators around the U.S. got together and came up with this common core of standards. Right. C-O-R-E of standards. But then it came to be uh, opposed by certain states who don't want to teach evolution. That's uh, what went Okay, down. now see. And this is being, this I've, common core is being opposed in the name of states' rights. Okay. But it's being opposed really by 
people who are not aware of the fundamental idea in all of biology. See, I have to tell you that uh, they're quite insidious the way they make their argument because they never let you know that there's an actual opposition to something so specific as evolution. Um, it, so it's states' rights. Yeah, states' rights. They never broach the issue of evolution in the fight for Common Core. And I've fight always... Against, yeah. oh, the fight against Common Core. And I've always wondered, why is it uh, that it's just... You know, one particular uh, a group of people who are always decrying Common Core. And then I thought... At first, everybody thought it was a great idea. Yes. Conservatives and progressives. Right. But then when people realized that if you had science teachers, including the basic idea in all of life science, uh, evolution, they started to like totally freak. And so there's a basic idea in geology, play tectonics. Right. Right. There's a basic idea in physics. Energy can either be created or destroyed. Right. Okay, and so we love that. So there's a basic idea in life science that uh, things change as they reproduce, which we call ev the process of evolution. Evolution, right. My goodness, people. Wow. I. You know what? I. This is why I love co-hosting these shows because certain things just pop up on these shows oh, yes. and never realize this is my little business this is it man this is why we answer these queries exactly and this is super cool because that's the real deal the real deal is it's evolution they the don't big want problem it. is evolution they're afraid of it there's right. some people who are empowered uh, neil right. tyson right myself you i presume yes are excited and empowered by the idea that we don't have all the answers. Exactly. Other people are deeply troubled. Never understood. All the answers, everything spelled out. Right now, we want to know everything there is to know about the universe right now. And when you challenge that, uh, they get they get unsettled. Yeah. And that's, I consider that entirely my fault as a science <laughs> educator. Instead of getting people excited about it, they just grow up afraid of uh, it. Don't blame yourself. <clears throat> that's, wow. So there you have it. Hey, listen, this is, uh, yes, this is Scott. Thank you for that question. That was, uh, that was uh, yes, quite is enlightening. It's really good. Yeah. All right, let's move on. Uh, let's get to uh, Spenny46. Spenny. Spenny. Spenny wants to know this. In order to achieve warp speed. Oh, yeah. Like in Star Trek. The way you do. Yeah, you know the way you do in Star Trek, right? You know? Sure. Number one, engage. That's yes. how you achieve it, by the way, Spenny. Number one, engage. Um, <laughs> what would the ship have to be made out of? So, uh, what well, they generally agreed that you'd start with some sort of unobtainium. <laughs> and build out from there. Keep in mind, there is no evidence that you can actually travel at warp speed. It's a science fiction device to enable uh, interactions between people. You know, what makes any good story is what's happening between people. And yes, there can be Andorians and Romulans and Klingons. There can be Xenonians and uh, so on. But really, any science fiction story has to do with us, humans, right. interacting. Right. And yeah, there's some issues about what's possible technologically in the future or the past, but it's really about what people are doing to each other. So uh, there's, no, there's no evidence that there really is a warp drive, and right. I don't know what the ship would be made of. Yeah, okay. There you It'd have it. It would be really strong. It would be, because yeah. you're warping space yeah, to right. travel through it, really which means whatever it is, is getting stretched out through space. Sure, it is. Showing up someplace it else. There's artificial gravity. Right. Everybody speaks English when you get there. <laughs> 
That's key. <laughs> Big time server. Uh, that's awesome. Yes. How did that happen? Here we are, halfway across the galaxy, but yet somehow these guys speak English. It's crazy. Oh, man. That's Unexpected. Awesome. Ah, yes. Well, it's a remarkable example of Hodgkin's laws of parallel planetary development. <laughs> Boy, I am I'm an old geek. I love it. Take it. Take I it. I love Chuck. it. Here we go. Here we go. Oh, my God. Mm. Uh here we go from Ethan Bottoms. Ethan says, Bill, what's your favorite sci-fi technology and what would be its real life equivalent? Uh, two things. Two things. First of all, I'd love to have a transporter. Oh, God, so would I. But people have done analysis on the information theory involved in taking a few trillion cells and putting them back together. And reassembling them. It's a huge amount of energy required. But the other one that we'd all like is subspace radio. Right. Where no matter where the other person is, no matter how fast he or she is traveling, no matter what's going on, you can talk to him or her. Yes. We've almost got it. For real. I mean, you have to take out your mobile phone. You can talk to pretty much anybody in the world. Once in a while, it's true. the uh, transmission is not as good as it might be. Once in a while, it's breaking up. Once in a while, you have to move near the window. Right. Once in a while, the phone goes in dead. my own apartment for yes, no reason. Yes. Your data costs more than your voice and so on. But we're getting close where you can talk to anybody, anywhere, anytime. Now, you can fly on planes six miles above the earth. Yes. And be on the internet, uh, communicating, taking care of things. And it's true. not going to be long before people will be able to talk routinely. I'm sure there'll be phone booths on planes again. Do you know if you remember the radio phones that were ten bucks a minute or something? No airplanes. Uh, but this uh, this will come back around. We'll have the equivalent of subspace radio. Right. Okay. So subspace radio. Uh, that's a, that's what I'd like. Be nice. Yeah. yeah. Be nice like you, Chuck. Mm-hmm. Nice. We- oh, I like that. I like that. I like what we did there. Yeah, it's brilliant. It's very cool. No one's ever thought of it before. <laughs> All right, here we Getting go. Getting nigh the end of the segment. We are, we are nigh the end of the segment. I don't even think... We- well, you know what? I'm going to go ahead and give you this one. Uh, uh, Wire, fi- this is uh, Hova Casanova. Why are fictional scientists usually portrayed as bad guys? Because you need enemies in stories. And you want the good guy to be like you. Gotcha. Man against the universe, man against himself, or man against man. That's how you run an English class. So you have the man be a bad guy from the future. He's fictional. This is Star Talk with Chuck Nice, and I've been your host, Bill Nye. Turn it up loud and keep looking up. Welcome back to Star Talk Radio. I'm your host, Bill Nye, here with the worldwide citizen of the wide world, Chuck Nice. That's right, sir. And it's the Cosmic Queries Continued, where we take your questions from the cosmos and uh, your inquiries and do our best to respond. Chuck. Well, you're you, going to do your best to respond. You have, Nobody you have a wants query. to hear from me. Uh, Chuck, you provide great insight on this show. Oh, Bill, that's very nice of you to say. You are beyond kind, sir. Uh... Here, uh, Kaylee. Uh, Kaylee. Who else could sell, say Kaylee except you? Besides you. <laughs> Who else could butcher the name Kaylee? Yeah, take it. Better than you, Chuck. Here we go. Kaylee Bush wants to know this. In many science fiction movies, hypersleep is used by astronauts. Hypersleep. Hypersleep is yes. used by astronauts on long voyages to make their trips seem shorter. Is hypersleep possible? If so, would it be a valid method to keep future astronauts sane during long trips in space? Uh, a couple things about that. 
Okay. We, you may have met uh, a bear or squirrels. These kids hibernate. They do a little something called hibernation. Yeah, and so it's very reasonable. They're mammals. Mm-hmm. We are mammals. It's very reasonable that you could figure out how they do it. Right. And uh, then you would enable astronauts to do that. It's not, I don't think it's to entertain, to keep astronauts from going crazy so much as to keep astronauts from aging too right. much, right? <laughs> you go on these long trips. And then uh, it seems r- reasonable to do that. However, with that said... Mark Kelly yes. just finished a, almost a year in space, 340 days in space, and he remarked, you know, you could go two years. I could go two years. Right. Uh, astronauts are anything but bored. Right. They have, if anything, too much to do. Yeah, that's what he's... The thing's going, yeah. One of the things he said uh, is that uh, there's so much to do. There's so many things all day long that he's doing that he doesn't think about it like yeah. like that. He doesn't his he doesn't run out of mental stuff to do. So uh, this is a great question, but very reasonable to to enable astronauts to make this long journey without having to eat as much, right? And process the waste as much, mm-hmm. having as much time seriously in sleep cycles. Uh, very reasonable to have people in suspended animation and in science fiction movies. What you generally do. Mm-hmm is have the people in suspended animation kill each other or die. (laughs) Or wait, one of the chambers malfunctions. That's right. And when they get to wherever they're going, it's a corpse. Yeah, yeah. Dried up corpse. Yeah, and he didn't even know it, or she, because he or she was asleep during this traumatic uh, time. But this is uh, a fine idea in science fiction, but it goes way back because we observe bears who hibernate. Why couldn't we do that with the right hormones or... Berry and bark diet. Yes. It's so, a good question. There you go. Good question. Oh, wait. Uh, way to go, Kaylee. Uh, Ethan, the cool guy, Smith. <laughs> That's quite a claim. That's what a claim. Ethan. Yes, he says, why does it seem that with every new generation, there is a new level of both scientific acceptance and scientific ignorance Which is a wonderful question, especially when you're thinking about science fiction. I mean, he's absolutely right. When you think back from the time of Galileo till now, Jesus, man, the leaps and bounds we've made. But yet when you look at where we are right now, you can't believe the people are such idiots that they believe some of the things they believe. For example, (laughs) give me an example. Like, like for example, that um, human activity may uh, be creating a climate change that is deleterious to the entire ecosystem of this planet upon which we live. And denying that. And denying that. Yes, in the face of evidence. Right. Or denying that uh, organisms change through the process of evolution. How about that? Yes. Or, Even though we have clear, clear well, evidence. Fundamental idea in life science. So uh, you're asking a great question. I think people, there's an expression, I think, in almost every culture, the good old days. Good old days. People have a way, We I think it's a survival mechanism. We have a way of suppressing the really traumatic times yes. and embracing the happy times. Right. And these are the good old days. And so... The ultimate manifestation of that is, if only things were the way they were when I understood everything. Uh-huh. Now uh, it gets away from me as these changes around us are happening in technology, culture, uh, the speed of things. But you got to get over it. It's back to this deal that I talk about all the time. Some people are greatly troubled by change. Yes. Other people accept it as part of the excitement of being alive. Right. So uh, this is a great question, but we are working very hard here at Star Talk 
to empower the world citizens to know science mm-hmm. and a planetary society to know the cosmos and our place within it. Well, that's why we want to know the cosmos and realize that we don't know everything and pursue truth in nature, to find out nature's rules so that we know where we fit in in the great scheme of things. Yes. Where did we come from? Are we alone? These are deep questions answers with science. Some people think it's cool. Other people are troubled. And the troubled people are the ones living in the past. There you have so it. Far, so far. Hey, uh, I have to say that um, um, that was a very cool question, Ethan Cool Guy Smith. So. Thank you, Ethan Smith, the cool guy. <laughs> Lead on. Here we go. Uh, BTU 0105. British Thermal Unit, 0105. Yes. 105 yes. wants to know this. The professor on Gilligan's Island always seemed to be using seawater and coconuts to power gadgets like radios. First of all, is that feasible? Uh, <laughs> depends. If you have enough dissimilar metals, by the classics you might be familiar with are copper and zinc, mm-hmm. then you can make a battery. But I don't know that you can power a coconut, coconut radio. Right, I was going to say. But I remind you, a lot I think of the, the coconut stuff was that there ha- just for uh, aesthetics. Give it the tropical island feel. Yeah, exactly. I remind you, a lot of the stuff the professor did on Gilligan's Island was not real. <laughs> <laughs> and so this enabled uh, the it enabled the plot to be advanced. And you'll notice, generally in Gilligan's Island, he'd get it almost working. Yes. For a few seconds. A few seconds, and then oh, and then doggone it. And so, uh, with that said, changing the subject to a more recent, more desperate situation on Lost. Ah. What I say as a, I was a pretty good Boy Scout. Right. Get off the island. Exactly. What's wrong with you people? Because right, all they cared about was what was happening on the island. That's I just got to say. When yeah. I watched the, the um, was it the Blair Witch Project? Yes. Get out of the woods. What's wrong with you? <laughs> we lost the map. Well, follow the stream, you right. clowns. There you go. I had no sympathy for those people. Maybe somebody will kill them and we can move on. Yes. <laughs> oh, Bill, Bill, you're so harsh. I'm just telling you, these are through the process of science, you would find a way. You would find a way to get off the out of the woods, mm-hmm. off the island. That's After, especially how long was that on? Five years? Yes. Three and a half years? As a, as, yeah. Somebody would get something done, people. All right. There you have it, uh, BTU. Uh, the professor was a fraud. Not a, uh, he was a fictional <laughs> he character. He was a fictional character. Uh, I think he never had anything that worked because he was secretly doing something with Ginger. So uh, I don't need to know, Chuck. Yeah. But are you Ginger or Marianne? Uh, you know, I got to tell the truth. I'm more of a Marianne I'm person. total Marianne. Yeah, I'm a Marianne guy. I am. Yeah. I'm sympathetic to the Ginger thing. I'm sympathetic to the Ginger thing, <laughs> but you know, that was a little, that looked a little high maintenance. And, it did. And, a lot and, of work. You know, honestly, a lot of work going in there. Yeah. And and, uh, and didn't, you know, didn't look like it would be worth it. Whereas Marianne. That's it. She's accessible. Know, yeah. And also felt like when it, you know, when, when my pursuits were achieved, that I may want to spend some time with Marianne. Uh-huh, yeah. So everybody, if you're not familiar with this, these references, a lot of the reason young men watch television is to look at women. <laughs> and if you look at the cover of any... Ma- I, I walk by here in New York, you walk by newsstands continually. All the time. So many of the magazines feature women rather than On the than cover, men. not men. No problem with that. That's I got to right. say if it ain't broke. So on this show, Gilligan's Island... 
uh, we can all ask ourselves, which of these contrasting personalities would you prefer? Right. And I think this is a good moment, Chuck, with that important digression resolved. Yes. To get at last to the lightning round. Ah, yes, and that is where we will speed things up and take as many questions as we can in the remaining time. So let us move on and say from, ooh, um, ooh, Seba Films wants to know this. Hi, Bill. Are you happy? I'm happy because you're you're sending questions or queries to Star Talk. There you go. That was simple enough. We're off to a uh, very good start. Um, uh, this is from uh, Andres Gamma 07. Andres Gamma 07 wants to know this. In Star Trek, are you really, when you're teleported to another place, are you really being teleported or is it a copy of you? Oh, no, you're really being teleported. Right. I've seen it. <laughs> Easy enough. Uh, Jay Shipka wants to know this. Is it, is it possible to convert sound waves into an energy source? Energy source. Yes. It has to be really loud. Right. Uh, think about how little energy it takes to make a big cymbal crash. I mean, really compared to something else. You know, if you have stereo speakers, they might be 100 watts. Right. Just think how loud that gets. Right. So, yeah, we turn electrical energy into sound all the time. Wow, there you go. I'm doing it right now. It's a radio podcast. Yes, there's your answer, Jay Shipka. It's happening right before you. You're soaking He wants to go the other way. He wants to take sound. He wants to take sound. Like a sonic boom. Moderation. Mm -hmm. Okay, here we go. Uh, Uh, Alphabetize wants to know this. What are the chances of humanity recovering after a catastrophic extinction event? The subject of many, many movies. They're pretty good. <laughs> Humans are said to be extinction-proof. That is to say, there's so many of us living on so many continents uh-huh. that even in a... It's going to be a remnant. Somebody will be around, and they'll be doing it. They'll be making more humans. I'm just saying, if you're like to worry about things, that one, I'd set that one aside. Okay, there you go. Uh, Benjamin and Luria. Benjamin and Luria. That's, mm-hmm. uh, he wants to know this. Could Rick's portal gun from Rick and Morty ever exist? In other words, could we ever have a means of creating a dimensional portal? Oh, yeah. It's easy enough. <laughs> no. You think you feel better? No. But it's good. It's, it enables the plot. <laughs> okay. Um, DJ Pure Logic wants to know this. Will humanity survive long enough to achieve a type two or three civilization? We'll see, won't we? If we can live on pure energy and become electrovores. It's not going to happen this weekend. Right. Climate change is going to be a problem before then. These are great questions. Maybe something worth achieving. But bear in mind the type one, two, and three civilizations are human constructs. Who knows if there are any of them and what they think of us. Very nice. Chris Showadrum. Last name. Showadrum. 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 Chris Showadrum wants to know this. What did you learn today, Bill? Uh, I learned how Chuck feels about climate change. He's concerned. <laughs> He's got three kids. Yeah, I, I, I have to tell you, I just, oh, God, I'm not going to get back on my little thing here because, yeah, I'm very concerned. Um, Adam Bomb Baby wants to know this. If you could show one thing, be it a photograph, a painting, or a piece of music, a book, or a movie, or something completely different to an intelligent species from somewhere outside of 
our solar system. What would it be and why? Uh, that's a great question. That is a great question. And if it's one thing? One thing that you could show them, would it, would it be art? Would it be literature? Would it be a photograph? Would it be, you know, a mathematical equation? Uh, I might show them a rocket. I might show them a spacecraft. Okay. But whew, that's a tough one. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Mm -hmm. I think I might, I might show them. I would just give them the internet and say, have at it. Have at it. <laughs> one thing. Wow. Just one thing. It's the internet. Here you go. All right. So this is uh, Davy Jones from San Bernardino, California. Wants to know, what's your opinion on how science is overall depicted in Futurama and Professor Farnsworth, a great scientist or the greatest scientist on TV? Which it's, just, it? it's just fun, you guys. Just fun. Don't put, don't put too much uh, voracious uh, true facts there aren't that many facts in Futurama. With that said, Chuck, we've yes, come to the end of our show. We have indeed. Cosmic Queries uh, on Star Talk. It's been my worldwide citizen of the world, Chuck Nice. Yes. And I've been your host, Bill Nye. Please keep looking up. This is Star Talk.